at once she ordered the remains of the feast to be removed and conducted Bao Yu to a dainty bedroom. The furnishings and hangings of the bed were more sumptuous and beautiful than anything he had ever seen. To his intense surprise, there was a fairy girl sitting in the middle of it. Her rose-fresh beauty reminded him strongly of Bao Chai, but there was also something about her of Dai Yu's delicate charm. As he was pondering the meaning of this apparition, he suddenly became aware that disenchantment was addressing him. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. It's a nice relaxing Sunday in Hong Kong. It is roasting outdoors, so it's quite nice to be in here podcasting. So in last week's uh, episode, we were uh, dealing with Chapter 5, which is, I think, one of the most significant in the story so far, and indeed in the, in the novel overall. It's this rather fascinating chapter where Bao Yu, the main character, is attending a, a kind of tea party and 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 wine drinking ceremony, where where lots of his family are uh, sitting around looking at winter plum blossoms, which is I, I think this very kind of refined aristocratic thing to do, uh, and he gets rather bored of it and decides he wants to go off for a nap, so he goes to sleep in the bedroom of uh, his aunt. No, I beg your pardon, his niece, even though she's older than him, Qin Shu. And while asleep there, he has this very remarkable dream. And most of the chapter is devoted to this dream sequence, where first he encounters a fairy who's known in the Hawks translation as disenchantment. And they go wandering together through the land of illusion, which previously cropped up in earlier chapters. And while there, he reads this book that is a register of 12 beauties of Jinling, uh, i.e. Nanjing. And in this book are lots of paintings and accompanying each painting uh, is, is a kind of poem. But the poems are riddles and they make very little sense to value and indeed very little sense to, to us as the reader uh, because they refer to and sort of foreshadow a lot of what will happen later in the story. And Baoyu is maybe just starting to understand what these riddles are about when the fairy disenchantment takes the book away from him and snaps it shut because she's worried that he will uh, come to understand what the prophecies uh, are about and that will be a dangerous thing for him to know. So she takes him away and she has her troop of fairies begin to perform a song cycle for him, which is known uh, in the Hawks translation as a dream of golden days, but which in the original Chinese is Hong Lo Meng, literally the dream of red chamber, the, the title of the book. 
Uh, and so we just got to the start of that song cycle when we, when last week's episode drew to a close. Uh, and that's where we're going to pick up again today. That sounds great. You know, the extra time we've had has really been, uh, really been useful for just delving more deeply into what's a pretty complex, uh, intricate chapter, but also seemingly very important. So I hope that listeners understand that the time we're kind of granting this chapter is going to pay dividends in in the long run, I think. Yep. How do you feel? Are you excited, overwhelmed, uh, a little bit disoriented, just like our protagonist appears to be? I I think definitely, yeah. I I can strongly relate to how about you you must be feeling in this uh, in this chapter because we're provided with so much information and some of it is provided um or sort of presented in a very straightforward way but much of it is is coded or or uh yeah sort of riddle like but but i also just think it's kind of fascinating because i think i touched on it last week but it's it's very unusual i suppose in uh, at least sort of the western literary canon as i understand it to do this thing of veering back and forth between conventional prose and um and poetry and the kind of song form here so earlier in the chapter the the kind of riddles that Bao Yu reads are um they're i suppose quite sort of terse they're they're quatrains each one of them and so they're written according to quite a sort of strict uh form whereas these songs are uh, a little bit more sort of fluid you can see that uh, Tao Xuetian's creativity sort of flows a bit more uh, freely in, in, in writing these. And I think they really are, you know, rather wonderful, quite kind of impressive um, pieces of poetry, both in Chinese and, and actually also in the, in the English translation. Mm, for sure, yeah. I've had the same kind of overall reaction that uh, I'm really pleasantly surprised by the, the prominence that poetry plays in this, in this work. I'm almost like uh, like lustful of the culture that uh, is so distant to us now, I think. And so I've been, I've been really getting into it. I have actually retranslated one of the one of the songs, uh, I think in many ways, hopefully improving upon the Hawks rendering. Well, that's a lucky treat. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, but just that the process of really kind of delving in, I think has been uh, humbling, but also highly rewarding. Yep. And I hope I hope there's some authors listening to us right now, and maybe engagement with this work will uh, maybe uh, provoke some modern authors to to try to you know delve into incorporating poetry more actively. And I think that would be fascinating to read in a novel composition, right? So, so last time we I think had finished uh, the first of the the twelve songs, um, uh, which in in. Uh, in Hawks is called the mistaken marriage, but the original Chinese is Zhong uh, Shen Wu, which literally means something like a life wasted. Yeah, yeah, or, or, or a life, a lifelong mistake. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that, like, that, that's maybe closer yeah. to it. Yeah, um, it's, um, but it's a, a rather kind of bleak title. Um, that much is certainly certainly true, mm. uh, and it describes what we think the it foreshadows the the marriage of Jia uh, Baoyu. Our, you know, protagonist to uh, Xue Baochai is his cousin, mm. one of the two main love interests in in the novel. And what's remarkable about these first two songs is that the rest of them, as before, we saw um, most of the earlier poems and the earlier paintings. Each was dedicated to a single character, with the exception of the the painting and poem uh, that was like shared between 
Lin Dayu and Shribao Chai. And and we're see, we're going to see now in this first song and second song, arguably the same kind of um, sharing occurring. Mm-hmm. Although I, I I would maybe complicate that a bit by saying that this first song seems to really be outlining the Jabao Yu, Lin Dayu, and Shribao Chai, like the triad, basically. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, characterization? Uh, absolutely. It makes me think of these characters as so um, like intertwined that they're almost inseparable in, in, in some way. Mm-hmm. And we're going to see maybe some more um, doubling or, or s- synthesis of characters later on in this chapter as well. So it's, it, it might be a kind of a, a recurring theme in, in some sense. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, that's one of the things I feel is very strongly suggested in the novel is that they're simultaneously distinct people but somehow intertwined interlinked or or even two two aspects of the same kind of entity same being mm. and that very much is reflected in the in the song cycle here did we want to start today on the second song yeah let's, having already addressed the first one let's begin there and and so let me uh this would be this would be uh my kind of a, a premiere i want to i want to we can talk also about the Hawks translation, but I, I want to use this opportunity to uh, to present my new translation. Yeah. Uh, where where I differ from Hawks is that I really don't think retaining the rhyme scheme is necessary or even aesthetically uh, advisable. Mm-hmm. And so I, I've completely kind of um, d- ditched that, and I've tried to just go for the meaning and to preserve the uh, kind of some of the connotations, but. It, basically going off a little bit on my own a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, the Hawks translation has it as hope betrayed, which is a, a more of an interpretive um, title. Yeah. I'm calling this one frowning brows, yeah. uh, which is again, a reference to um, we saw before that uh, Jabao Yu, he renames Dai Yu as in the, in the Hawks translation, it was uh, frowner. Frowner, yeah. Uh, and this this kind of referred to um, her facial expression, but it was also connected to her, you know, her embodying this, you know, lifetime of tears yeah. that we've already discussed from chapter one. Yeah. Uh, here's a the new translation just finished of of frowning brows, mm-hmm. uh, Wang Ningmei in in the original. Um, one is an immortal flower from Long Yuan. One is a fine jade without flaw. Were it not fate, why in this cycle of birth would they meet again? Yet, were it fate, why do the affairs of the heart, all in the end, come to naught? One in vain, her ringing lamentations. One tugged to and fro, his heart's disparate concerns. One to be the moon in the water, one to be a flower in the mirror. To think, how many pearls of sorrow can one eyes contain? How can they endure from autumn flowing to the edge of winter, from spring flowing into summer? So that's a very good. Uh, thank you. That's the uh, the uh, I've, been, I've been working on that. Um, I, I floated it on Twitter recently. I, I got some interesting feedback, uh, so I made a little a few changes here and there. Nice. Uh, do we want to talk about um, some of the images in there? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I mean, we can look at the first of them, I suppose. Uh, you, you touched on it, um, mm. but the contrast is one as a as a uh, a flower, you know, uh, and the other right. as a as a jade. Uh, 
as a as a stone. Right, which is pretty obvious, right? So we know from chapter one, kind of. Yeah. Uh, the, the flower is, is, is of course, Lindayu, yeah. and the jade is our, our, our male protagonist, yeah. uh, Jabal Yu, right? But throughout, there's this sort of like para. There's very much line after line. Uh, there are parallels or, or or reflections between them, right? So. Exactly. Yeah. I do think that the 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 question in the middle of the poem, if it were not fate then if it were fate then you know kind of what, what's the point of all this maybe it, yeah it, it evokes this in the reader a sense of frustration because in neither circumstance is there a happy outcome mm. and so when i kind of experience that part of me is imagining we remember our the idea of this being you know the author reflecting upon his life and kind of he, he is himself you know um blissful uh blissfully remembering things past uh and there's a lot of sorrow there but there's also clearly um if not joy then an appreciation of value of an appreciation of something lost uh, mixed maybe with a sense of of the meaningless of it all um and so i i think the whole work is kind of uh the, the tension between these um conflicting like attitudes yeah. Um, and maybe we see that here and, and this conflict is being addressed you know why is this happening is this a matter of fate is fate a concept that we still have to sort of deal with even in you know in emerging modernity in some in some ways yeah I, I kind of like to like I've been thinking today what's the old um, if a tree falls in the forest you know if a if two trees lean you know if two trees mm-hmm. cry in the forest and only yeah. Bao Yu is there to <laughs> to hear it. Uh, what's the point? Yeah. Basically. Well, I guess the, the the there's always that tension, isn't it? Because without being too sort of morbid about it, I suppose if you know if everyone ultimately dies, then everything that ever happens to you will ultimately result in 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 nothingness, I suppose. But mm. but it's still recognizing the the importance of those things that. That do happen in the sense of of um, of loss and regret for things lost. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that the um, the images of the the moon reflected in the water and the flower yeah. reflected in the glass were very yeah. interesting. Um, I want to hear your your interpretation. Well, well, which is which? I suppose. I mean, you would think that that I suppose Dayu is the the flower reflected in the um, in the mirror because. <laughs> because she's described as a flower earlier in the poem and because obviously floral imagery in a work such as this would seem to be more closely associated with women than with men. Um, But I wonder why you would think of um, Baoyu as a, as a, as like a moon, a moon reflected in the water. Um, Especially in the earlier chapter, there there was imagery of the moon first uh, shining down upon uh, Jayutun's love, uh, prospective lover, and then she was herself uh, compared to the moon. And the idea yeah. was the the whole world was looking at up at her, up at her beauty in the sky. Yeah. Uh, and so now we have suddenly the moon, um, yeah, 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 being uh, identified with a male character. Yeah, I, I I don't actually know what to make of it, but I do. I think that regardless of whether you can identify clearly, you know. Which which character is which? The imagery is very 
uh, appealing. I particularly like the thing of the tears flowing from autumn into winter and from spring into summer because it evokes, I suppose, a sort of river. Um, that's the image that really springs to mind for me. Yeah, um, definitely. And I, I feel like that's something that does crop up a lot in various works of you know literature and poetry and things in 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 um, in Chinese culture. The, the imagery of the river and the association with, with I guess, sorrow. Um, uh, the only fitting example I can think of for some reason right now is, is actually a, a very modern one, which is a film from the, the very tail end of the Republican era called The Spring River Flows East, which is a story of separation of a couple during the Second World War, which, of course, was, was from uh, the early 1930s in China all the way up to 1945. Their separation due to war and their eventual reunification and it's obviously a story that's very kind of full of of sorrow but i think the imagery of the river itself is is one that is i guess really closely associated with yeah loss and tears and that sort of thing right i was thinking of maybe uh connecting it back to um we already had this strong correlation between the idea of um womanhood being associated with water and, and men being associated with with mud an image yeah. that's going to appear actually in a later song and so these teardrops what i kind of um over uh translate as pearls of sorrow um yeah. they yet they do flow basically they literally flow from from season to season and they fill you know they fill the eyes they fill the seasons maybe they fill you know the the water in which the moon is reflected yeah and so when when we have this this moon in the water, and if when I compare that to a flower in the mirror, I think they're both notably um, reflective uh, images. Yeah. And in their reflection, you have the two the two characters, each mm-hmm. sort of. When I think of the moon in the water, I'm thinking of the moon as uh, Bao Yu, and the water yeah. as Dai Yu. Uh, yeah. And so maybe the the flower in the mirror, the mirror in that case might be uh, Bao Yu. What's interesting there is that in each image, the characters trade place in being the one doing the reflecting. Yeah, so oh, that's can, very interesting. Yeah, construct a whole kind of dialectic there. Yeah, um, which kind of reinforces this idea of there being mutually um, constituted. Definitely, yeah, I, I, I can see the the appeal of one seeing themselves reflected in the other, uh, and vice versa as an indication of the, the kind of depth of the uh, love and understanding between them. And so depth is a good word, actually. So they're both in vain, right? The, uh, the one, what I have as uh, her ringing lamentations, kind of what I was going for there was this idea of, um, we already have the notion from the Heart Sutra of um, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Yeah. Uh, and so when we think of someone, you know, crying out, the reason we can hear their voice is because of the reverberations. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is kind of there's something kind of in vain about reverberating. You know, it, it, it is a, a kind of a, a repetition, an, an empty repetition, but it, it is what gives you form. This thought kind of came out of the, um, the sort of painstaking process of translating something because you, yeah. you end up looking at um, not, not only the original term, but also the um, kind of its etymology. And then you also look at when you're so when I'm looking at the English, like in vain. I'm looking back to see that, uh, you know, vain originally, it came into English through uh, old, old French from Latin, and it means, uh, you know, empty or uh, lacking in purpose. 
Mm. Um, and so you, you, there's a kind of an, a fortuitous um, Sim similarity between symmetry that occurs. Yeah, similarity or symmetry that occurs where you know you have in Chinese you have something like an expression like uh, uh, what is it originally? I guess like bai bai da, you know, or kong bai da, where yeah. it's it's relying on the same um, image or metaphor of, of emptiness to that being using the terms white and empty yeah, as corn yeah. went by yeah to, to to represent exactly empty but literally in vain wasted for nothing right and so when people talk about the impossibility of translation yeah. I, i'd respond with like well, well we have these even though our bodies are situated in time and are going to you know be constituted in a kind of relativistic way we still end up having if almost through like a force of coincidence we're going to have these shared metaphors that yeah. you know independently different languages will, will arrive upon simply in order to um designate value and, and to and to give it a shape and to give it a to give it a, a place yeah so i mean it's the two terms that they they that erzal uses in that section uh they're talking about things in vain is Wang in one case, which is uh, it means like crooked or bent, right? Mm -hmm. But it, but it also implies uh, again in vain. And then the other, as you touched on before, is Kong, meaning literally empty, hollow. Yeah. Um, I think it's it, it's interesting because there are two different ways of conveying the same thing. One is you do it and nothing solid, like Kong being empty. It means something that's done without any solid sort of outcome or achievement or consequence. You know, the end result is nothingness. And the other wang, meaning kind of bent or crooked, is that the outcome is is somehow sort of worthless. So it's not that necessarily nothing comes out of it, but that it was nothing nothing useful comes out of it. One thing I just wanted to 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 touch on quickly though in this line is mm. there was a section you you mentioned, I guess about kind of like tugging tugging her heart around something like that. Right. That's uh, what, my translation for qianguo. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting because the the imagery there is almost uh pastoral or farming related um because the three characters are lao qian and gua right so lao is literally uh, like manual labor qian is is as you say to sort of drag or pull around but the character itself incorporates the the character for cow so I remember when I first learned this character, associating it with um, kind of pulling a, a cow around by a nose ring. You know, you were kind of so so. It's sort of it's sort of like that. And and uh, and then the final of them, the final one of them, Gua is is um, literally to hang, like to hang from something. But it also carries the implication of being being left hanging almost to be. Uh, you know, uh, it carries a sort of note of kind of suspense in English. I just thought that was really really interesting imagery because. Obviously, what's implied is exactly what you have translated, that he has kind of tugged her, her heart this way and that. I was kind of thinking there that um, maybe the um, Qianguo, it does have this um, kind of like a, the image of a pool or a tether. But that really reminded me of was um, the expression, you know, to tug at someone's heartstrings. And so yeah. my, my understanding of this passage actually is that Celeste that Bao Yu is, is tugging at um, Dai Yu, for instance, but that he's kind of all over the place and his heart is pulling him in different directions. And so ah, I see. the reason why he, his actions are, are like futile or like Kong Lao 
right? Or or yep. which is an, or, or too low. The reason why they 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 come to nothing is because <clears throat> it's because it is this to or fro. It, it is like on one hand he gets he gets pulled in one direction and then he gets pulled in the other direction. Yep. They kind of cancel each other out essentially. Um, yeah. And so it's really interesting because you you see um, futility represented in different ways, but mm. it, but it, it all kind of centers around this idea of um, you know actions that that cancel out that turn to nothing that, that come to naught as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which one do you want to do next? Did you want to, do you want to look at the next, the next one? On the list? Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to say that we would maybe, we might skip over some of these. So we have a little bit of time to, um, to, to look at the end of the chapter, but, uh, but our, like our, um, our promise to, uh, to listeners is that any song or poem that we we've skipped, that when the when the characters in question are are actually finally introduced, we're gonna review, we're gonna reread, yeah. you know, as it were, and we're gonna kind of um, treat the poem more in, in its immediate context. Um, but but let's do the next one. Sure, sure. Let's pick up the next one. So so this is uh, in Hawks. It's translated. The title is translated as mm. mutability, which is uh, what I guess sort of like uh, being changeable almost, right? Being mutable right. is is, is... Yeah. as opposed to immutable, right? Immutable, exactly, exactly. Um, liable to change, that sort of thing. And the Chinese is it's a th- three character title. It's Hun Wu Chang, Wu Chang being uh, immutable, unchanging, right? And Hun being hatred or dislike for for something. So, so I guess kind of hatred for immutability, I suppose, is 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 where the Chinese um, mm. is kind of going. This poem we we touched on before. They're all about someone they're all about one character or another do you have a clear sense in this case who uh who the subject um, of this poem I, is? I was i was aided by um by hawks's appendix here this poem is widely associated with um the, the oldest of the trun sisters Yuan yep. Chun? in earlier chapters uh i think in chapter three through the eyes of uh lian daiyu when she was arriving at the uh the jia clan's sort of mansion in the capital uh, she was introduced to these three three girls who all have the character Chun in their in their name, and that's the Chun like spring, correct? Exactly. And so, yeah, this is this is the the, the eldest of them. You were saying this poem. Um, so, what did you make of this poem? These poems are a lot more straightforward than the 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 songs, and so you kind of have a sense for what's going to happen. Um, there are some kind of interesting, yeah, I've kind of spoken before about, uh, there are some inconsistencies in the, um, in this novel as a consequence of it's not being finished or properly edited. And, uh, and, and this, this poem is one such inconsistency because it, it really emphasizes the, the distance mm-hmm. that, uh, Yuan Chun has, has, has traveled upon her, uh, uh, becoming an imperial concubine. But, you know, Hawks discusses this as well in the appendix. You know, they wouldn't really be that far from home. Yep. They'd still be in the same, uh, in, in Beijing, in the same northern uh, capital. Whereas the, mm-hmm. the poem seems to emphasize, you know, the great distance she's traveled based on the idea yep. that, you know, this family was originally based in, in, in Nanjing. And then only later was she moved to Beijing. So that would be a greater distance. Yeah, yeah, that would be far further, wouldn't it? it? There is this, just as 
there is uh, no real certainty about when exactly in history this novel is is uh, set. Although, given that it's strongly autobiographical, you know we can infer that the setting is is the Qing Dynasty, but but it's never expressly stated. In a similar way, location is fluid, you might say, um, because exactly the, the the novel seems to take place both in Beijing, which is the capital, but also in Nanjing, which was also sometime capital, particularly under the um, Ming Dynasty, which is of course thousands of miles to the south. And yeah, I, 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 my understanding is, is similar to yours that this this um, these inconsistencies partly have come about through perhaps yeah a lack of uh, of editing or because of changes introduced by Tao or others. But it also somehow seems to be to an extent deliberate that there's a slight kind of playfulness or or it's kind of partly a deliberate decision to slightly obfuscate or leave unclear um, exactly where the action is taking place but as you say uh, <laughs> if you're going away to become the emperor's you know an emperor's concubine and your family lives in beijing and the emperor lives in beijing then it's you know while that no doubt separation is difficult the physical distance is relatively short whereas absolutely if you're traveling cross-country to to take up that new position, then there's both the emotional separation, but also a very great physical distance. Mm. I, I would say all these poems seem to really emphasize um, this question of fate. Uh, mm. And there's also um, mention of um, appearing to her parents in a dream. Um, and, yeah. and so we see the dream medium is kind of a realm for... Um, communication so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out yep although we're told later that maybe some changes are made in the story and uh the one who appears in a dream uh in, in chapter 13 is, is not actually uh yuan chun but is rather um wang shi feng uh, feng Lazi. Uh, um yeah peppercorn feng. which again is one of these one of these um inconsistencies that I, that yeah, I would absolutely. personally say, you know, this is this gives it an even more dreamlike quality where you have one of the characteristic things of dreams is this inconsistency of the plot where you, yeah. you have things happen and changes occur and it's not clear why they occur. That seems to be like a, a basic mechanism of our like dream consciousness or, or, or dream production uh, facilities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, do we want to read it in, in the in the English? Um, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Sure, so, so, so <clears throat> third song, Mutability. In the full flower of her prosperity, once more came mortal mutability, bidding her, with both eyes wide, all earthly things to cast aside, and her sweet soul upon the airs to glide. So far the road back home did seem, but to her parents in a dream, thus she her final duty paid, I, that now am but a shade, parents dear, for your happiness I fear. Do not tempt the hand of fate. Draw back, draw back before it is too late. So, so once again, you have uh, Hawks trying to capture, I guess, the rhythmic quality of the of the Chinese, um, uh, and 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 focusing very much on on rhyme, um, um, which you know it's fair enough because. If you look at the lines in the Chinese, you can see that they, they do rhyme. Um, yeah. yeah, there is 
errors rhyme. Um, and it's always difficult with these kind of things to say, do you, uh, what aspect do you want to capture? You can never do your perfect like for like replacement when you take something from one language into another. Mm -hmm. And I think it does capture some of the sense of it. Um, yeah, yeah. Which things in this poem kind of stood out to you? Um, this one's pretty straightforward. I kind of just let this one flow over me. It's less a matter this time around of, you know, interpreting the symbols. Yeah. We do see a consistency of, of images. Again, the yeah. emphasis on flowers, uh, flowers a metaphor yeah. for um, for youth and, and for vitality, specifically like female vitality, but not exclusively. Yeah, we have... Right? We, we have uh, the use of the character Fung, again, which from last time we were talking about is in the name of, I think, the... Uh, hmm. Is it the perfume that um, the fairy disenchantment has? And yes, that, it that, is, yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a good option. That value smells. Yeah. So it's the same, this one that is, implies beauty and virtue, but also is very much associated with the natural world. Mm -hmm. So it's a kind of natural, a natural kind of beauty. Um, and goodness. Um, one other thing I just wanted to touch on is in the Hawks, she says, I that now am but a shade. So, so, you know, saying, recognizing that she has, has died and has passed on to the, to the next world. Mm -hmm. Um, in the Chinese, it's So your ch child's life has already entered the yellow spring. Mm -hmm. What is the, what is the yellow spring here? Do you know, is this a, is this a, um, a, an image that you have come across before? Yeah. I would equate this to, um, maybe to hell, but maybe, maybe more so to Hades where it's like hell is a judgment, right? Uh, yeah. whereas, um, Hades is, is more just the place you go. You know, I think there are yeah. good and bad sections of Hades, but it's not, it's less bifurcated than in the Christian system. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a sort of underworld, basically. And we're, we're going to see some some kind of death metaphors later in this chapter, and I wonder if those are related. So, yeah, I think those are uh, those are very related. Okay, cool, cool. Well, I just wanted to flag that one up because I think it's a I think it is an interesting image and one that's I think you're right, similar in some ways, recognizable for people who are who aren't brought up in that, I suppose, or not familiar with uh, those kind of Chinese traditions, but familiar at the same time. I mean, the thing that it recalled to me was something like the river Styx uh, in Greek mythology. So, okay, yeah, uh, you know, the, yeah. the river across which across which you are ferried on the way to to um, to the underworld. Um, yeah, yeah. Later on in the chapter, it really is a river Styx kind of um, setting, I think. So how about we move to the next? Because there's so many of these. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 continue. The next one, the fourth song, is from "Dear Ones Parted" in um, in the Hawks translation, but in the Chinese original, it's "Fen Gu Rou," which is separated from bone and flesh, literally. Mm -hmm. um, but here, obviously, uh, "Gu Rou" is um, is metaphorical for. Well, what we would say, your flesh and blood, exactly, in, yeah. in, in English, yeah. you know, your 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 family, your 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 relatives. But it, it's still interesting to me because you know, having learned those words in their most literal sense, seeing them on the page, it didn't immediately have that association for me. Uh, and and I imagined it was going to be about something absolutely terrible, some form of kind of torture. Um, maybe um, psychologically, it not. is. Maybe that's yeah. Maybe that's where the the, the metaphor comes from. I think I think that's true. It's it's very it's 
as you say, very um, metaphorical suggestion, certainly, that the pain of separation is something akin to that. Mm. Would you, I mean, would you like to read the the, the Hawke's translation, perhaps, for uh, folks listening? Okay, yeah. Yeah, so this is, um, this is Hawke's, uh, from Dear Ones Parted. Sailboat, a thousand miles through rain and wind, leaving my home and dear ones far away. I fear that my remaining years will waste away in homesick tears. Father dear and mother mild, be not troubled for your child. From of old our rising, falling, was ordained. So now this parting. Each in another land must be, each for himself must fend as best he may. Now I am gone, oh, do not weep for me. So another, uh, these are these are pretty dark. How, yeah. Bittersweet. I mean, they're, 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 yeah, there's a, there's a tragic feel to them, certainly. Yeah. Melancholy, I think so. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to pick up uh, in the final line of this is where it says, "Now I am gone, oh do not weep for me." Do not weep for me is in the Chinese, more qian lian, more being do not, mm. and qian being the same dragging pulling character that was in the earlier song about uh, Bao Yu mm. being his heart being pulled to and fro, and yeah. Uh, initially, when I read through this, I, I did notice the same characters coming up again and again and again. And actually, rather uncharitably, my first uh, impression or what I first thought was perhaps, this is strange, why is he reusing all of these characters? Does does he lack, does he not have enough kind of imagery to hand that he has to keep reusing stuff? But but obviously, it's a deliberate decision on the part of the author to use the same terms over and over for emphasis and i suppose also to draw uh, a continuous thread through multiple parts of the chapter mm. so do we know do we know who uh, this poem refers to yeah Th- this one is referring to uh an- another one of the chun sisters uh tan chun so far in the story we haven't these characters haven't really been fleshed out as it were uh that um yeah. that thoroughly we're told um in the hawks appendix that uh throughout the novel tan chun is is repeatedly associated with the image of a kite. And so this, this, the kite image appears here again. And her fate is apparently to be married off to a young man holding a post in a distant province. And due to this distance, yeah. it would be very unlikely yeah. for her to see her family again. Um, yeah. And so you have this, the boat imagery of kind of shipping off, sailing away, and, yeah. and, and potentially never yeah. returning. It's probably a real concern, I would say, for, for a lot of families um, during this time period in Qing yeah. China, but also I, I, maybe especially for um, for more wealthy and elite families where it may be the case that um, the process of, of forming these relationships, maybe for political reasons, might actually lend itself toward, you know, greater distances, greater separation. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Quite possibly, yeah. So I think we should... Um take a look at one of the other songs a little bit further on. Mm. As mentioned, I don't think we need to necessarily look at each one of them in granular detail because, you know, I think it would take quite a long time. And for sure. And many of these many of these characters we haven't really been introduced to properly yet. Uh, we can come back and touch on these poems when we when we get to know them a bit better. Mm. Did you want to look at the the sixth song? Yeah, I thought the sixth song was especially uh, kind of especially interesting. There's a little more to talk about here. Um, mm-hmm. This is the one that Hawks has translated as uh, "at all odds." Uh, the original yeah. is "shu nanrong." This song is referring to the character that Hawks, for reasons mysterious to me, has translated as 
adamantia. Uh, although in, in the yeah. original Chinese, it's miao uh, yu, which means something more literally like, um, like marvelous jade. I, I suppose adamantia, adamantia being what essentially a kind of mythical material, like a diamond, but even more more powerful, uh, more indestructible than yeah. diamond. I think is the idea. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, it's an ancient, ancient Greek word. I think originally, exactly as you say, diamond, something harder than diamond. Um, so it's a little different in the meaning, but I suppose it's sort of hinting at the same thing. I, I think so. Um, yeah. Um, and also just drawing on a similar thing that he's done elsewhere in the in the translation, which is to draw on things from almost Western canon or Western tradition as stand-ins for for Chinese things. So I mean, recalling the names of the perfume, the tea, and the Mm -hmm. uh wine earlier in the chapter those were all yeah drawn from 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 more kind of western um ideas mm -hmm. um and i guess this is a similar kind of decision yeah yeah should i try reading this one uh and then we can talk about it I, it's more you can tell that um miao yu's character is, is uh is distinctive um and, and it kind of plays into her role in the story and and it, it accentuates uh her um inevitable uh, downfall right so yeah. let's, let's yeah. read um at all odds uh, heaven made you like a flower with grace and wit to match the gods adding a strange contrary nature that sets you with the rest at odds nauseous to you the world's rank diet Vulgar its fashion's gaudy dress, but the world envies a superior and hates a too precious daintiness. Sad it seemed that your life should in dim-lit shrines be wasted, all the sweets of spring untasted. Yet, at the last, down into mud and shame your hopes were cast, like a white flawless jade dropped in the muck, where only the wealthy rakes might bless their luck. I think that's it's a very fine translation. I have to say that one is um, mm. he's managed to capture mm. the spirit of the original very well, but also to to make it a you know a very fine piece in English in its own right. Mm. You can kind of see now how why it's adamantia. I think in part yeah. because she is again this this immortal material, uh, but mm -hmm. also in her case, her like jade like quality is partly kind of. Uh, a matter of of a distance, a, a separation from, a distinction from worldly matters that almost yep. has a psychological uh, quality to it. Her character seems to be of a certain uh, fastidiousness, right? Both with yep. regards to um, the kind of foods she wants to eat or even, you know, perceive to smell and also a, a kind of a very maybe elitist or uh, yeah. a highly refined uh, sense of um, a sense of fashion, a sense of aesthetics. I mean, aloof rather. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Uh, was the impression I got. Yeah. The reference to uh, one of the lines in the Hawks translation reads, uh, sad it seemed that your life should be in dim lit shrimes wasted. That's a reference to her uh, of joining some kind of convent. It's kind of an interesting thing to think of uh, that, yeah, we, we think of um, religious devotion in terms of faith and belief, but I think you could also probably argue that there is, um, it selects for a certain, 
again, a certain psychological disposition. If you're averse to a lot of worldly matters, including, you know, you know the nitty gritty of even like simple dietary affairs, um, yeah. and maybe you're averse to um, interpersonal interactions in various, both, you know, uh, like sexual and, and, and non-sexual, it would make sense that yep. maybe you would um, gravitate toward a celestial occupation. Yeah, a, a monastic life, yeah. even. Yeah, and so that's what we. So we know that that's what will happen to her. Then she, she, she's destined to end up in in that sort of setting. What's this point at the end? Yet at the last, you would be uh, cast into the mud. You down into mud and shame. Your hopes were cast. Right, right, right. My understanding is that later, though, again, she has a downfall, and she goes basically from a nunnery to a brothel, and so she I really see. experiences. Um, and so here is someone who only wants to experience the select parts of the you know the human experience. She doesn't eat meat; it doesn't appear. She's chosen chastity, but through like a, a series of circumstances, she ends up completely in the thick of it, um, unable to to fend off um, sexual advances and even the the commodification of her sexuality. And so that that really is like the worst possible fate for. For somebody with yeah. this um, nature, yeah, with this kind of nature, yeah. I think just one or two other things to touch on is um, the use of dirt again. Yeah, it's interesting because yeah, that goes back to Jia Bao Yu's view of men as dirt, mud, and women as kind of purity and cleanliness, which is yeah, kind of curiously objectifying way of uh, of thinking about women, isn't it? I mean, it's it's. Um, but but yeah, again, we see that that association with sex and the material world as dirty, right? Right. Uh, and and her higher calling being kind of clean somehow. We've seen the uh, the, the idea of the Hong Chen almost every time. There's a reference to dust in this novel. It has this kind of this Buddhist connotation, where it is um, kind of contrasting our mortal world of dust from the you know the perfect vacuity or the the great mm. beyond, and which exists but not in the same way that we exist or however you want to kind of construct a, a buddhist idea here so and, and so we yeah. have this uh ang zang, which means dirty and filthy but then what's, what's really interesting yeah. is the, uh the feng chen uh which is it's a great term because it really captures this whole this whole transformative process it meaning mm. literally like a, a wind-blown dust which is another a great yeah. metaphor for the mortal world uh it, yeah. it can also mean hardships of travel and the, the vicissitudes of life, but it's also yeah. a, a kind of a euphemism for prostitution again. Oh, uh, is it? And so it, you no, have in one term, it really seems as if um, Miao Yu kind of uh, instantiates all those the, those values, those yeah, meanings. Multitude of, of meanings. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the golden dust, the golden days. Um, hmm. These metaphors are just repeated over and over again, and I really think it uh, it has an effect over time. And I'm starting to like I feel it, especially living in California, which is um, aflamed and, and the dust is in the sky. My particular mortal coil, you know, yeah, has the same uh, valence to it. 